Yes, yes, Nigel had an idea to to help out to to market T-shirts. Yes, T-shirts of all things. Yes, I think he did. He put it through. Yes, it's on Shopify. Yes. Well, I suppose it's worth a go, right? The Brindu Sunday meatless roast, even though it's a Tuesday. Splendid. Right, dear. Nigel's gesturing. Best of bubbles. Yes, Nigel. Line three, sir. Thank you. Douglas Day. Day Misty for me. Douglas Day. Sorry, sir. Line one, sir. Douglas Day. About them eagles. Nigel. Sorry, sir. Line four, sir. Douglas Day. Douglas Day. Day Misty for me. Right, in today's show, we've got Nigel Lewis Stevenson is going to read another of his poems from the Philadelphia series. That will be followed by a song selected by our musical curator, Mr. Mortimer Page. Then Mr. Ross will be in to read chapter 24 of his novel, Hard Water, in its final part three, entitled It's Got to Be Sacred. I have a feeling there are not many more chapters left. This program is brought to you by Al Crowder. That's K-R-A-U-T-T-E-R. Al Crowder's 12 Steps to Natural Gardening. Mr. Ross, how are you today? Well, Nigel, are you ready? Yes, sir. I'll turn it over to Nigel Lewis Stevenson. Thank you, sir. This is a poem by Nigel from his Philadelphia series of poems. This one is is entitled Methuselah. Andre tells me something I don't know, gently slapping my elbow. He says, Methuselah, Methuselah, lived a thousand years because his father Enoch stepped off and found paradise, and he wasn't coming back once he found that, no way. And Methuselah lived so long because he was looking for his father. It was a mystery where he went. And Methuselah said, I ain't stepping off till I find Enoch, my father. He says one man in the temple was quoting scripture verse by verse, sipping something. And Andre said afterwards, outside, they all lit up cigarettes. And he asked, what was that dude drinking? And they said, vodka, no slurring, no nothing. And he says Christ stepped off at 33 because people weren't ready for what he had to teach. That's why he left and came back. And he met one Atava who closed his fist and opened his palm and there lay dust and he took his finger and laid some dust on Andre's forehead and Andre asked him what it was and he said it was the dust of angels. And Andre said life was to find knowledge from the cradle to the grave was to find knowledge and he said he'd put you in a circle asking questions.
That was the song Creature in the Sun by the band Partner and L.A.-based duo. Ah, that imagery, that rollicking beat, that that rock and roll, hit it, and the pursuing guitar, cymbals, crashing drums that never fails to throw old Mortma into a head-banging craze. Thank you, Mortma. Mr. Ross, how are you today? I'm good, Douglas. How are you? Hey, Nigel. What did you think of Nigel's poem? I liked it. Um, I always like Nigel's poetry. In particular, I loved the use of the euphemism stepped off and also the fourth stanza, how every word of the fourth stanza, five lines begins with the, with the word and. I thought that was interesting as well. Right. Chapter 24, Mr. Ross, how many chapters are there left to go? Well, I know I have at least one ending chapter. I do believe I have the end of the book already written. But this chapter, for instance, is brand new. It's not something I wrote, you know, five years ago. So I would say he's in, he's pro, he's in uh, Kentucky, North. He's just almost entering into Ohio from Kentucky. It's not going to take him too much longer to get 64 miles to his home, but I'm thinking he's going to meet something or somebody else on the way. Mm. Well, we look forward to hearing chapter 24. Yam on. Thanks, Douglas. Chapter 24, part three, it's got to be sacred of the novel, Hard Water. One-room schoolhouse, clearing in the woods, door opens and a flock of kids spill out. Their Appalachian twang halts once they gain knowledge of my presence. How do, I ask. How do, reply the children. They throw a gaze behind them. How do, mister, pipes up the schoolmistress, stoutly bringing up the rear. What am I supposed to say? Mighty fine? Tip-top bah? Never been better? Or shouts I be honest about the condition of my condition? I'm right fine, ma'am, doing right well, and you? Well, sir? We made it through algebra this morning, and now it's time for lunch. Go on now, scholars. Shoo! Leave the man alone. Can't you see he's done rung out? The children scatter, casting backward glances at my decrepit visage. You must be thirsty, she says. Hungry, too? I am. Come inside the schoolhouse. Hey-o! T.P. hauling some water now, you hear? Yes, ma'am. The young lad beelines for the well and drops the bucket down into the deep, dark hole. Please, she says. Please, she says, enter. Thank you, miss, I return. She directs me to a desk in the front row, then moves around behind her desk in the far left corner and extracts a carrying bag from the side cabinet. 
She extracts a trio of plums and a sandwich of ham and cheese sandwiched between two oversized hanks of bread. She stands, deftly removes a hank of yellow hanging hair from in front of her eyes, and delivers two plums and half of her sandwich to my desk. There you are, sir. The water should be here directly. As if on cue, the young, ginger-haired lad by the name of Ty enters the picture from behind me and speaks. Here you are, ma'am. He lifts the wooden pail slowly, steadily, and allows for the water to enter the ceramic pitcher of his teacher. The jug, or pitcher itself, is festooned with a trio of roses in faded pink. The greens of the stems are more vivid, in fact, than the flowers themselves. She approaches my desk with a cup and the pitcher. If you do not mind, sir, you must have to drink out of my own cup. But have no fear, it was washed this morning. I thank you, miss. I I thank you. It don't take but a moment for me to drain the sweet water from the tin mug. She fills a soup bowl with water for her own self and turns round quickly with the pitcher to refill my cup. We eat on in silence for a few moments and then she says, Sometimes this place is like being in a prison, and other times it's like being in a church. I can imagine. These kids are gentle creatures, creatures in the sun, kind of like dogs, but lucky ones. Hmm, I say my mouth full of the delectable hunk of ham and hunk of cheese sandwich. They value peace, they value love, they value the power of nature, but they're afraid, scarred, and twisted by the absence of their fathers, their brothers, their grandfathers. So, they look at you, and the first thing they're going to ask you is if the war is over. I see. So what will you say, sir? I'll tell them the truth. No, the war is not over. Then, and I'm just trying to grease the rails for your lesson, most likely Australia will ask you, how come you're back? How will you respond to that query? I had to think about this one. Cookies for dessert, she continues. I hope you like snickerdoodles. I nod vigorously, but inside my head I'm thinking I'm a deserter. Some would say a coward. I left my post, abandoned my brother's. The young schoolmistress delivers a sugary snickerdoodle to my desk and murmurs, Well, don't think too hard there, Sherlock. You might break something in your brain. They're just kids who deserve the truth. So I tell them then. I'd say so. The young teacher wipes her plate with the cloth that hangs from the corner of her desk and gently returns the plate to its shelf on the whitewashed wall. She sits and beams at me intently as she raises a plum to her mouth and bites into its fulsome purple flesh. Somewhat early for plums, but I like to hear that snap, she states with enthusiasm. I bite into my own plum, and the same snapping sound briefly enters the room. My own paw, she continues, kicked the bucket at the Battle of the Wilderness. We spotted his name in the war bulletin. As you can imagine, mister, every child in this room has or is experiencing the dull weight of loss and it's my job to carry them through it. Furthermore, it is my job to activate a moment or series of moments that be filled with the wonders of the human exchange vis-a-vis our relationship to time, place, and circumstance. Do you follow me? Yes. So when I saw you standing skeleton-like in the schoolyard, my first thought was, what is this fellow here to teach us today? What can we learn from him? What is his message? What is his creed? For as you might guess, mister, I don't abide by mere poppin' jays. I am sure you do not. Good. So what's your message? The door slams open and the eight students stream in. Um, anti-war, miss. Anti-war and some words I'd like to present. Lovely she pronounces. And your name? Arthur Seat. From? Cincinnati. Very well. I'll briefly introduce you and then the floor is yours. The schoolmistress stands stolidly at the front of the room and nods at each student as she calls their names. Antonio, Joshua, Adam, and Will. Ardea, Amber, Taisha, and Nay. 
Today's visitor, who dropped out of the sky as if by magic, is one Mr. Arthur C., who hails from Cincinnati. Antonio, what distance sit we from the Queen City? Sixty-four miles, Miss Weathersby. Good. Amber, what is the square root of sixty-four? Eight, Miss Weathersby. Good. Distance, my dears, lends one perspective. Write this down. And perspective helps us gather a view of the big picture. How far from here to there? What is here? What is there? What obstacles, pitfalls, or shining moments of glory shall I encounter along the way? Can I plan for these pitfalls, or do I just up and go, untrammeled by thoughts and concerns? Furthermore, what is an obstacle, and do obstacles necessarily have to be tangible, flesh and blood, concrete phenomena, or can they be something abstract? Yes, Ardea. They can be abstract, and you can't always plan for them either. Antonio, agree? Disagree? I agree. Why is that? Because life don't work that way. The best laid plans of mice and men can often go asunder. I agree with Tony, says Josh. Abstract obstacles like sadness, grief, anger, and hate, well, they can affect us just as the obstacle of a stillborn calf or a swelled-up river can force us to take a step back and reassess our options plus our very existence. Yeah, pipes up Taisha. And within that reassessment grows an enriched notion of what the big picture is and maybe what appears as obstacles are actually stepping stones to a deeper understanding. Yeah, offers Adam. You gotta go through pain. You can't go around it. Well, you could go around it, adds Australia, but that means it would never diffuse. Yeah, you gotta go through those things in order to break them apart, says Will. I couldn't talk about my pappy for the longest time, but once I started talking about it, it was like I couldn't stop. It was like you were floating. Yeah, the more I talked about it, the more like a feather I felt. Good, strong image there, William. A floating feather let loose from an avian angel, no doubt, provides an apt segue into reintroducing our guest today, a Mr. Arthur Seat, who is on his return journey to the Queen City of Cincinnati. Mr. Seat, you have the floor. Thank you, Miss Weathersby. Good afternoon, students. Good afternoon, Mr. Seat. Today, my hand begins to shake. I'm worried about using the chalk. I didn't expect to be so nervous. So, the two words I'd like to focus on for a bit, if I could write them up on the board, but I dropped a chalk, which cracked sharply into two. I pick the pieces up and attempt to write on the board, but my arms start shaking, so I, I can't steady the chalk. Then... I feel a trio of finger taps on my shoulder. I turn, and there stands the student Amber holding out the palm of her hand as if it were a plate for which I am to offer the two lengths of chalk. As I place the chalk in the palm of Amber's hand, I I step to the side of the board and readdress her classmates. Thank you, Amber. Today I'm going to give you two of my favorite words, vicissitudes, V-I-C-I-S-S-I-T-U-D-E-S. Can you say that with me? One, two, three... On three. One, two, three. Vicissitudes. And my second word, Amber, if you could put it right up to the the right of vicissitudes near the top of the board. So we leave some room for unpacking the words underneath is transcendentalism. That's transcendentalism. T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N-D-E-N-T-A-L-I-S-M. Can you say it for me one time on three? One, two, three. Transcendentalism. 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 Good. Now let's unpack these words. Amber, if you could put a backslash after the V-I-C and an arrow down from V-I-C and the words turn 
and change below the arrow. And below that, quote, a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. You all want to know how I came across this word? Absolutely. When I was away at the war, there was a fellow, there was a fellow named Crocker. We used to listen to talk around the campfire. He was a, a learned man, born and raised in Ohio, but went off to school in one of them New England states. We called him Professor. We were sitting around the fire one night, chewing the fat, and all of a sudden he interrupts his transcendentalism mini-lecture and blurts, Vicissitudes! V- what? A few of us murmured. Vicissitudes! He shouts again comes from the Latin, from the verb vicare, which means to carry, as in to carry a burden. But how do we rise above our beastly burdens, man? How do we rise above the brutal brutality of tomorrow's approaching battle, huh? So students, good connotation for this word or bad connotation? Bad. Correctamundo, Antonio. Is life always easy? No, sir. Is change always easy? No, sir. Sometimes it's hard. Does life go up and down? It can. It most certainly can. So we are not immune from the vicissitudes of life then, are we? No, sir. I contend, however, that how we choose to respond to these ups and downs defines our character, our spirit, and our glowing core of humanity. Make sense? Yep. Now take a moment to write a paragraph in your journals about a vicissitude you've faced in your life and include how you chose to deal with it. Then we'll have two of you share your response with the rest of the class. So the assignment is, what vicissitude or up and down change have I faced in my own life and how did I choose to react to it? A few minutes goes by. Most of the students are writing assiduously. A couple are staring off into the rectangular pair of windows. Okay, who would like to share? Adam? When my pa left for the war, I had to take over all the milk, and at first I was angry, but then I accepted responsibility. My ma says my pa would be proud of me. Good. So you chose to embrace the responsibility of milking your ma and pa's cows. Yes. Why did you do that? Why didn't you just say, well, heck no, I'm a 10-year-old boy. I refuse. I want to run around in the woods all day. I don't want to milk no cows. Why did you choose not to say something like that? Because my mama needs me to do it, and I want to make my pa proud. Splendid. You're a good man, Adam. Don't let anyone ever tell you any different. Thank you, sir. Anybody Anybody else want to share? I choose Taisha. I wrote just a little bit, she says. Okay, what did you write? My brother is dead. That's a vicissitude, right? Yes. He died last month. I'm sorry. And I chose to do nothing. But that is a choice, doing nothing, says Antonio. He continues. When my pa stepped off, I didn't do nothing but retreat to the hayloft and ball like a baby up among the swallows and the mud wasps. That's not doing nothing either, says Nay. Yeah, I guess not. But it felt like nothing. Did it make you feel better or, or worse? Seems like worse. I couldn't stop crying, but one day I up and stopped. Maybe you just ran out of tears. But eventually you came to peace with the situation, says Josh. Because I got to tell you, brother, you seem a lot better these days than you did a month ago. Yeah, I I came to terms with this vicissitude. How? I ask. I walked in the woods. I went to my prayer tree. I strummed my guitar. A brief lull settled over the room. Thank you, too, for sharing. Now I'd like to look at the next word, transcendentalism. Any ideas? Is this Ralph Waldo Emerson's junk? It is indeed. Miss Weathersby, you're good. Nous sommes au courant, Monsieur Seat. Amber chalks a backslash after trans and draws narrow down to the word across. Then she inserts a backslash after the E-N-D and draws narrow down to the word scandere. Then she adds an equal sign to the right of that and looks to the class for its Latin translation. Anybody? 
She asks the students rifle through their daily readers and Joshua pipes up with, to climb, correctamundo, spouts Amber. So we put the two together and we have to climb across. And what are the tenets of transcendentalism, I ask? I got this, says Taisha. Through our connection, appreciation, and inspiration drawn from nature with a capital N, we are afforded the opportunity to transcend our earthly foibles. Yeah, and Emerson even went so far as to posit that thought and spiritual things are more real than ordinary human experience and material things. What does he mean by material things, Ardea? Like, think things, like houses, barns, horses, cows. Okay, and what does he mean by ordinary human experience? Me? Yeah, go ahead. Like normal everyday stuff, like doing the washing, husking the corn, etc., etc. Can one find transcendence through washing the dishes? It depends how you look at it. What do you mean by that? Well, if you elevate the practice of washing the dish to a spiritually cleansing activity, then you, yourself, your spirit, that is, can also be cleansed within the process of washing that dish. I see, I see. So does that mean that you all are going to go home and wash your mama's dishes tonight? No, sir. And why is that then? Because we prefer to get our spiritualism through the pursuit of other more restful occupations, such as walking in the woods. Okay. Writing poetry. Splendid. Eating elderberry pie. Okay, I get you. So in summary then, is it safe to say that one can choose to transcend one's vicissitudes, the ups and downs of life? That's one way of looking at it. For if we don't transcend, then we might fall prey to the dreaded curse of being a stick in the mud, correct? Yes, sir. We are much better off going our own way. That's what the professor used to say. Own way. Beware of following the crowds. Any questions? Nothing lasts forever except some things like your reputation, your sense of integrity, your kindness. Any questions? What happened to your hand? Uh, my hand shakes. Sometimes my body shakes. It's on account of the combat. When you were at the war? Yes. Did you see many dead bodies? I did. What do they look like? Do they smell? They look very, very still. And yes, they do smell. What do they smell like? They smell like death. And what do death smell like, Mr. Seed? I mean, I smelt my grandma at her passing, and she smelled like honeysuckle. That's not how them soldiers smell. The, the army don't have time to dial them all up before they place them in the ground, and it don't help that the rats and the crows. So what are you doing back here, mister, if the war ain't done? I am, um, I, uh, left the war. Can you do that? Just leave? Sure, if you want grape shot up your derriere. Just tell your CO you're leaving. I'm sure no hackles would be raised, smirks Australia. What's a CO? Commanding officer, sunshine. Oh, how come you're going home? I couldn't take it anymore. Take what? The dying, the digging, the death. So you quit? Yes. Does that mean that you believe in slavery? No, it does not mean that. But you quit on the war and the rebellion. I am certain no man should be allowed to own another man or a woman. I don't quit on that. But I do quit on murder. But I do quit on murder. I do quit on certain death and dying, no matter what the cause. My papa says the rebels are fearsome. That true? Are they fearsome? Most cornered animals are. Yes, they were fearsome. Indeed, they were. How many you kill? A few dozen. Well, I'll be jiggered. How'd that feel? Dreadful, despicable, terrifying, complete. Whoa, it's over. It's done. It's death. I was both inside and outside my body. I was living and dying at the same time. I was completely disconnected from the universe. It was cold, so cold and sad, so sad. What if they catch you, the Yanks, your CO? That would not be good. Would they shoot you? Yes, either that or hang me. They would. 
Well, I reckon you best get a move on that, eh, mister? Indeed I should. If we come across ye, we'll cut the rope. I appreciate that. Miss Weathersby gently grasps me by my elbow and supports me as I sway. Well, students, I learned something, she says. I hope that you did, too. But for now, Mr. Seed has promises and appointments to keep. Shall we offer him our very best tidings and a hearty huzzah? Thank you, Mr. Seed. One, two, three, huzzah! One, two, three, huzzah! One, two, three, huzzah! Thank you, students. Now don't go fighting any wars. Okay, students, Australia, take over the board as I walk out, Mr. Seed. Begin by conjugating the verb to pacify. Include the adjective and noun form of the word, too, my dear. Yes, ma'am. The young schoolmistress escorts me out the aisle, bisecting the rows of children's desks. We descend three wooden steps and pause upon the dry schoolyard dirt. Well, I murmur, I'm not sure how effective I was. Don't undersell yourself, my good man. You taught them about words and the inherent dilemma of warfare. I'm trained to do my duty, but what if I don't believe in doing my duty anymore? Is it better to be true to oneself or true to one's responsibility? Is there such a thing as a brave coward? What do we talk about when we talk about death? Clearly, sir, the children gathered that life is not solely a bed of roses. But we can only hope and pray that those young scholars are spared the horror of what you yourself have been through. Now scoot along, you dashing fellow. Your family is waiting on you. I've got 60 more minutes to weave a tapestry chock full of concepts to set their brains afire. I take my leave of the schoolyard. 64 miles to go until I reach my Ruth. I hope those kids learned something. Oh, I shout from the lip of the woods. And thanks for the plums in the sandwich. But Miss Weathersby is already back behind the closed door of her one-room schoolhouse, inspecting and protecting her brood of curious kids.
that mouth organ, that searing wail of a voice, the way the piano, guitar, and horns talk to each other at the end of the song, cut the rope by the Dull Water Gap Band. I would have assumed they were from Canadensis, but they're an alt trio based in New York, New York. Thank you, Mortimer. This has been another episode of Book Smile.
Douglas Day. Peace.